0: A wild one in Starkville. The party continues in Starkville. He's a pleasant
1: lad from Starkville. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. Once again, I am joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, and distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Lanville. Hey, Doug, how are you, man? I am doing great over here. Very well. How are you? (laughs) I'm good, because I've got heat in my house.
2: (laughs) Unlike you. Yeah, I'm in a jacket, Uh, parka, scarf, and a hat. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, why would you need heat in February? It's overrated. Uh, All right, coming up later, we will bring in our good friend Ken Rosenthal to digest one of the biggest trades of all time. But first, Doug, I'm just going to ignore the whole heat situation in your house and ask you this has this been the craziest off season in the history of baseball like i'm kind of kidding here but not really i mean seriously what's the last off season crazier than this i can't remember one
2: i mean i i'm trying to think of you know big signings controversies you know i guess the ped scandal was a pretty popular off season <laughs> But uh, Popular? yeah, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm taking a page out of Wicked, the play here. But uh yeah, it's. I mean, I I don't know. It's unbelievable what's happening in the game. Existential crisis. The you know <laughs> sign stealing. You have great players getting moved town to town. Big sign. It's yeah. yeah. It's it's pretty loco right. right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about it. You know, like December, we had like twenty. 20- Big free agent sign in the same week at the winter <laughs> meetings. All right. Then we get to January, the Astros earthquake hits, the Hall of Fame. Somebody doesn't vote for Derek Jeter. Then the <laughs> next thing you know, it's February. And now we just have seen one of the biggest trades in baseball history. Mookie Betts getting traded. So, like, here's a question for you because you're one of the smartest and and most inventive wordsmiths that I know. <laughs> Can you think of a better term for the off season than uh, off season? Because there isn't much off
2: in it. No, no more off. Uh, I mean, I, given that I'm kind of obsessed with heat right now, since I don't have any, uh, I, I think the hot stove is how you get into it. It's it's no longer an off season. You have to do something hot stove. But stove is a little dated. So maybe we bring something like you know with microwave, something with technology that steps it up of like a higher level of heat. So maybe it's the acid off-season. That could have some connotations we have to be careful with, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's got it's got to do something that, with the heat. So I want to work with that one right there.
1: <laughs> You're obsessed with heat right now for some reason. Yeah.
2: Yes. It's coming back. Yeah. It's coming back on.
1: Yeah. I mean, we I like we need a term that doesn't have off in it. So that's going to be your assignment for the next podcast. But I, I mean, think about this. Like the NFL – Free agency hits in the in the off season. It starts and it's over in about twenty-four hours. <laughs> then they have a little downtime. Then the draft comes along in the spring. And then everybody like goes to the beach until training camp starts. <laughs> but, but that does not describe the off season that we experience
2: in our sport. Nope. Not in the least bit. So we're just getting <laughs> us ready for spring training. So this is our training here. Yeah. January yeah, winter sweet- training, we could call it. Yeah,
1: that might be it, winter training, because the spring part of the winter (laughs) training comes along in five minutes. Um, All right, we've got so much to get to on this podcast, my friend. We've got the trade. The Astros make some fascinating hires for the new manager and general manager, and we've got some incredible Astros stats. We've got the Chris Bryant ruling and what that means. Pete Rose Back in our podcast lives. (laughs) But before we get to that, let's explain how this podcast works. We divide it up into innings. We start every inning with a trivia question so I can do my shtick as the Wink Martindale of baseball. Uh, And you can find the first four innings pretty much everywhere at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn. I mean, everywhere that podcasts are disseminated. But then, if you're a subscriber, you get to keep listening because we have bonus innings available on the Athletic app and the Athletic website. So, if you are not a subscriber and you want to be a subscriber and you want to keep listening to this podcast, you can get a 30% discount on a subscription to The Athletic. You just have to click on the link where you found us in the first place. That'll do it. Everybody good? Everybody got all this? Tremendous. Now, let's play our game. Doug, here is your first inning question. Just two years ago, Mookie Betts won an MVP award for the Red Sox. Now, the Red Sox have actually had a bunch of MVPs, but here's your question, man. Who's the last outfielder before Mookie
2: to win an MVP award in Boston? Okay. Okay. Ooh, I feel some trick questions going on here. Okay, so now David Ortiz <laughs> was—is was he considered an outfielder at some point? In the never, team? never. All right, come on. Yeah, David Arias was though. He, uh, yeah, was he ever? David? Yeah, David. okay. Let's see. I, I should also mention uh, David Ortiz never won yeah. an MVP award. So yeah, that's another problem. So I'm thinking a lot here. Uh, man, what about Manny? Did Manny Man-Ram? Many Remember. Yes. That's your uh, final answer. That's a
1: that's a that's a wonderful guess, Doug. It's so wrong, though. Manny you never won an MVP award. Um oh, come I'm gonna on. run the actual answer. Takes you way back to the nineteen seventies. Perhaps that helps. It Ooh, was a like guy named Jim Evans, Fred Rice. Me? Jim Rice, oh, Rice 1978. Uh wow, in between that's, we've that's had shocking. right. We've had Dustin Pedroia win for the Red Sox. We've had Mo Vaughn win for the Red Sox. And we've had Roger Clemens win for the Red Sox. But back in the 70s, both Jim Rice and Fred Lynn won as outfitters. I mean, Jim Rice played a lot of DH, I believe, in 78. Yeah.
2: Right? He was mostly an outfitter. Let's go with that. (laughs) All right. We'll go with that. He was great at the wall. I remember the green monster. He was very good at that.
1: Doug, we are in the presence of greatness today because Ken Rosenthal joins us to help us make sense of this monstrous Mookie Betts trade. Ken's been all over this story. We're honored to welcome him to Starkville. Ken, I just want to say we would be happy to give you the key to the city, except that we don't even have a city. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, it is an honor to be in Starkville. I hear it's one of the more pleasant places to live in the United States. <laughs> uh, it's entertaining.
2: I'll say that. Uh, we're actually in Mars. We're actually on the surface uh, of Mars. Surf- so we're not in the U.S. We're on well, Mars. Well, wherever
0: you are, I hear it's, <laughs> it's a great place.
1: Yeah. There, there's, there's no heat in the portions of Starkville, too. You should, you should know that. <laughs> wherever the heck Doug is, on Mars or wherever he is, there's no heat. But – We're not going to worry about it. Doug's heat. We spent way too much time on this already. Uh, Let's break down this trade. And let's start here. This feels like one of the biggest trades in modern history, maybe any kind of history. You know, like it's well documented that I'm a knucklehead with too much time on my hands. I spent way too much time looking at this today. But I cannot find a single trade ever. In which a team traded for a, a former MVP position player and a former Cy Young in the same deal, so that that's pretty crazy. Then, as I wrote in the Athletic, you know, players like Mookie basically get traded once in a generation. We're talking about guys like A Rod in his prime, Ken Griffey Jr. That's about it, in at least in the 21st century. So let me ask you, Ken, just on that level. How incredible is this deal? And do you think that we should even bother playing out the season? Or should we just do the American League half so that they can determine who plays the Dodgers in the World
0: Series? (laughs) Well, Jason, I thought you put it well in what you wrote and what you just said. This doesn't happen very often as far as just the caliber of Mookie getting traded. And then to add Price into the equation, even though he's not the Price that won the Cy Young Award, it's pretty astonishing. So from all of those perspectives, it was an enormously big trade. And yet what made it bigger to me was the involvement of the third team and the peripheral involvement of the fourth team because there were all these bodies yeah. flying around. That, to me, escalated even higher. It wasn't simply Mookie Betts getting traded. It was Mookie Betts, the Dodgers making a deal with the Twins involving Kent and Maeda, and then just making a deal with the Angels involving Jock Peterson and Rush Stripling. This is monumental on so many levels. That's why we're sitting here trying to unravel it. It
1: really is. And you know, as as you pointed out in what you've written, um, it looks like the Dodgers have managed to make this deal depending on how much money they're paying of David Price and still say under the threshold. It, like that seems pretty amazing to me. What That's a, amazing. How about you? What are they what's the degree of difficulty of that?
0: Very high degree of difficulty, but it's the kind of that Friedman stays up all night trying to pull off. And he, as you know, Jason, Doug, you guys know this, he hates giving up high-quality prospects. And really, with the exception of Don Alvarez, who he had never seen play, under Friedman, the Dodgers have not given up top prospects. They just haven't. Even for Machado, even for Darvish, even for yeah. Josh Reddick and Rich Hill. It, those deals were deals that involve some potentially good players, but nobody who has really come back to haunt them. Frankie Montas, I guess, would be the closest, and he's got a PED suspension last year. So to pull this off and to not give up a, even a Jeter Downs, who's a top 100 prospect, in fielder, and still be within range of the tax threshold, and we don't know the exact dollars yet because this thing is not official, but it's a safe assumption, I think, to believe that about half of Price's money will be going to LA, $8 eight million out of ninety-six million. If all that's the case, yeah. they're gonna be right there with the threshold. And that is a trick that <laughs> that's a one in a hundred trick right there to me. And that what is what makes it so special from the Dodgers perspective, because okay, it's Mookie for one year and it's priced for three. Neither of those outcomes is especially advantageous, but They limited the exposure with finances and also with prospects. And that's a big win for them. Now, granted, they lose some depth with Peterson and with Stripling, with Maeda. But they're also getting David Price and they're getting Mookie Betts. And they signed Alex Wood (laughs) to replace Ryu. So they're going to be As for your other question, the (laughs) one about should the National League bother competing with them next year, I would say the answer to that is still yes. And the NL East has some relief. And I can see in a playoff series, an NLCS, the Nationals, even the Mets, with their starting pitching, giving the Dodgers a fight. Now, of course, all these teams can regroup at the deadline as well. But don't forget the Braves in this equation either because they're really good. So I don't know that it's a lock they get to the World Series. This was a play, certainly. Not series, but to win it, which is the one thing that they haven't done under Friedman. Seven straight division titles right now, but no World Series victories since '88. And I think Price is the sleeper in this deal. He is a shot to be not the old David Price, but certainly an effective major league pitcher again.
1: The one thing about the Dodgers is they care less about volume from their starting pitchers than just about any team in the league because they have so much pitching depth. So they just they just want quality from David Price, whether that's 100 innings, 125 innings, 150 innings, whatever it is. do not they don't, They're not going to push him to run out there every five days just to say they did. And that's another reason he's such a great fit. You put him in the NOS, great fit for David Price to revive his career, get him out of Boston, all the stuff that swirled around him there. And then there's just the whole bottom line, the Dodgers won 106 games and added – a six to 10 win player without giving up any really critical pieces off their major league roster, depending on how you look at Jock Peterson, right? Wow.
2: Doug, I know you wanted to ask Ken about the Red Sox, so we should definitely do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, a couple of questions. The first question I think of is, you know, when you – when you go over the deal, there's a lot of calculus involved. you think of the, you know, the economics, uh, the moves, the pieces, the time, in the salaries. But what's your take on what this means for the game? Is there a concern that it's a lot harder now to just have that franchise guy, Mookie Betts, being a Red Sox for life and being able to accomplish that? Uh, you know, what's your sense and concern for for that loss in transactions like this?
0: Well. I have concern for the game, Doug, but it doesn't necessarily relate to this transaction in the way that you're describing. The Red Sox, had they not made a series of decisions over the years, would not have depleted their prospect base, would not have gotten into this situation with the luxury tax, would have been more flexible, kind of like the Dodgers were entering this deal. They were in a flexible position to add a big-time impact player this offseason, and while they lost out on Cole, never got in the mix for Rendon. Here, finally, they make that move. My concern for the game is more a view the threshold. We're seeing with the Red Sox. We saw it with the Yankees and Dodgers. They wanted to get under to reset the penalty rate. And for a couple of years there, they looked at it like, well, we're not going above that. Teams now, the NL East teams are all hovering around the lowest threshold and they won't go over it. So that to me is a concern. And I thought at the time the CBA was signed that the thresholds were too low and – The union had not worked hard enough to get them higher. Now, there's some disagreement among union people about that, but that was my feeling. It is still my feeling. And it's something that needs to be addressed in the next CBA. And by the way, if you're going to have a threshold mechanism at the top of the salary structure, why not have it at the bottom? So we can stop seeing Pittsburgh like and Baltimore like plunges. And to me, there's just a lot of things structurally. That have to be addressed in the CBA. Service time being another one of them, and yet, this is another conversation for another day because it's really complicated. It's not going too well right now. (laughs) That's definitely another
1: conversation for another day. But you know, I want to give a little illustration of what's in it for the Red Sox. To make a deal like this, I, I I did this math two years ago when the Yankees dipped under, and I think it applies again. I haven't done all the math, but let's just say the Red Sox had kept Mookie, kept David Price, and then you know they're trying to win, so they go sign Zach Wheeler. They give him just what the Phillies gave him, five years. It was one eighteen, right? Okay, so now they're they're still in the fifty percent luxury tax tax uh, category, so that's going to add 59 million dollars to the, to that 118 so now it's a 177 million dollar deal not a 118 right. million dollar deal plus now like they're if i've done the math right they this that would put them over the second and third tax thresholds so now you're going to add more tax. You're over 180 million dollars for that Zach Wheeler deal. It's a 36 million dollar a year pitcher you're signing. Plus, they're losing their uh, second pick in the draft, their fifth pick in the draft. They're losing a bunch of international slot money. And all right, they're for the purposes of the luxury tax, the CBT payroll, they're over 250 million dollars, so they're over every threshold. All right, now they go out next winter. They want to sign Mookie. They say, let's say they give them ten years, four hundred million dollars. So let's think about the cost of that contract. All right, they're in the fifty percent tax rate uh, tax bracket instead of the twenty percent bracket because they didn't get to reset. So the four hundred million deal turns into a six hundred million dollar deal. But they're over every threshold. So like the next twenty million dollars. It's sixty-two percent of that. The next twenty million, it's ninety-five percent of that times ten years, right? So you start thinking about this: that twenty-five to ninety or hundred million dollars extra in taxes every year. That their four hundred and million their four hundred million dollar contract is is almost doubling over $700 million, maybe $800 million, and they're losing more picks and more slot money. Just do that math, and you understand why the Red Sox would do that. But I don't know about you, Jason. Ken, judging by my Twitter feed. Red Sox fans don't care.
0: Well, not that I would ever want to put more work on your plate, Jason, but if you wrote that article, or wrote what you just described, it would be helpful to the discourse. <laughs> Because fans do not get this. And I wrote a column. It was a week ago Sunday. So what? Nine, ten days ago now. The headline of the column was why the Red Sox might trade Mookie Betts. Now, I didn't get into the math the way you did. But I explained how if you were an AL East general manager, not in Boston, what would your preference be? Would it be for the Red Sox to keep Mookie Betts for 2020 or would it be for them to go through all of these resetting and bringing in young talent and all the things that they get ancillary out of this trade besides the two players? Any AL East general manager would tell you, and I know this for a fact, hey, better for me if they keep Mookie and don't get all those benefits. And if they lose them for a draft pick, great. If they don't stay under the, get under the threshold, great. What <laughs> best serves the Red Sox competitively long-term, not for 2020, is doing this kind of trade. Now, we can argue about the particulars, the players, they got back, all of it. But the thing was motivated by Mookie wanting to be a free agent. He didn't take their money. Now, granted, did they offer him enough? No, they didn't offer him enough. Didn't go to the level where he would say, absolutely, I'll do this. But maybe they felt that level for whatever reason. His body, kind of a thinner guy being one of them. Maybe they felt it just wasn't their best investment over 10 years. And then when you talk about all the tax locations, yeah, and actually, Jason described, trading him gives them a better chance of signing him because they do reset. So, again, it's really hard for any of us to put our arms around trading a homegrown superstar, potential Hall of Famer, a generational talent, just a brilliant player, and a great guy. He's Everything. He's everything you want. But the Red Sox sort of put themselves in this position. And then it's a matter of having to get out. Now, they put themselves in this position with a series of short-term rules that, yes, helped them win the 2018 World Series. You can't do that forever. How do I know this? Because the Yankees went under the threshold. The Dodgers went under the (laughs) threshold. Every other team determines it's good to go under the threshold. The Red Sox are just doing it with a much more prominent and distinguished player.
1: Yeah. And, you know, then there's the whole M.O. of the two general managers involved here. You go hire Dave Dombrowski because you're in it to win it now. And so he's going to trade all those prospects. He's going to give out all these contracts and he wins you the World Series. But now out he goes. In comes Heim Bloom. What's Heim doing there? He's not there to keep the band together. He's not there to run the payroll up to two seventy-five or $300 million or $800 million. That's not why you brought in Heim Bloom. Heim is there f- to do stuff like this. Like, you could see the whole plot playing out. But I don't blame any Red Sox fan for being angry today because players like Mookie don't come along very well. Often, and I, it's yeah. got a chance to haunt them. There's no doubt about it. I, wh- one
2: more well, thing, Ken. Well, who and who's gonna who's who's gonna run the team? That's what I I want to know. Who's <laughs> gonna run that team? Like, I mean, I, I'm curious. Like, do you get Bo- Bruce Bochi? Do you get like you, you got to that, That's what could justify this move even more. So you get some momentum off of having the right leadership and having a, the right kind of season.
0: But I don't know who they're gonna pick. I don't know, Doug, and. <laughs> really hasn't even been much smoke on this, right? We haven't heard many names, many unusual names. Reneke, yes. Fabulous, yes. The Coach Ureta from Arizona, okay, that's a different name. And the guy who was really impressive at the World Baseball Classic. But we don't know. Now, I don't know if they're waiting for the investigation to be complete, and then they can determine whether Reneke is viable, depending on how MLB rules. I don't know any of this. But Certainly, 2020, to me, the way they're setting it up is not their foremost concern. Now, you want a manager, obviously, for more than one year, but maybe they just do what the Astros did and hire Ron Renneke for one year and then figure it out at the end of the season. There'd be nothing wrong with that. I, I,
1: I have one more thing for you, Ken. What's the last time that we headed for spring training thinking that the best team in Fort Myers, Florida was not the Red Sox?
0: Okay. <laughs> right. Jason, that's a great question.
1: <laughs> well, <like> 1991? <laughs> I, I don't know. It might be. It might be. But the Twins also were a part of this deal. Well, let, let's take a quick look at them. Uh, I mean, look, they gave up a guy who throws like 103 miles an hour. And the uh, yes. you know some of the people that I talked to in baseball last night and this morning, they couldn't believe the Twins traded that guy. But – in Kent what are they getting, and how
0: win-now ready are they? Well, this was a win-now move, and, and a move that the Twins normally don't make, right? They are very much a developmental organization. That's the way they've been for years. But Josh Donaldson's a win-now move when he's 34 years old and you're signing him for four years. And this follows that pattern. Now, the question on Gratterall is, is he a starter or a reliever? And a good number of people seem to think he's a reliever. Well, if that's the case, and Kenta Maeda gives you league average 150 innings over the next few years, I don't know that that's a bad trade. In fact, it's probably a good trade. What will Maeda be for them? That's a question. Probably a starter, I would think. But they have a very unusual group now. It's kind of a collection of number twos and threes, and maybe fours. (laughs) But they have depth, and they didn't get Wheeler, they didn't get Ryu. Those were their targets. They shifted to Donaldson. Rich Hill's going to be there in June or so. Pineda's going to be back in May. And Homer Bailey's in the mix. Chasins in the mix, along with Barrios and Odorizzi. They have enough things to choose from here. It's almost a Dodgers-like rotation, frankly, yep. without a Bueller, I guess. Although Barrios has that capability. I was just going to say that. So I, I sort of like the trade. And I get it. And... If Grotterall's a reliever, all we ever hear from the analytics crowd is relievers are fungible. Well, there is he's fungible then.
1: Yeah. Among the teams that obviously thought he was going to be a reliever was the Twins, and that's why you yes. that's why you make this deal. But, you know, they they need to be right. As Aaron Gleeman wrote in The Athletic about this deal, they need to be right about what Grotterall is going to be because if he turns into a uh, – 103 mile per hour flame throwing rotation piece for the Red Sox, then Kentomaida is not going to look that good. But Kentomaida. Right, no doubt. Right.
0: Go ahead. And Kentomaida might enter a period of decline here, right? Now, Gradarol also, I, I was teasing a little bit when I said that the analytics folks often refer to relievers as fungible. Not so much lately. Because of the way bullpens are used. <laughs> and even if Gratterall is, Jason, a knockout setup man or a potential closer, anything along these lines, a three-inning guy who is really good, like an Andrew Miller type, yeah, well, then you've got something pretty special for six years.
1: Right. And. It- it was really important for the Red Sox to get somebody like him in this deal. In addition to Alex Verdugo, Alex Verdugo was—he's a talented player, uh, a lot of years of control, but he, he he was not enough in and of himself to be the centerpiece of a Mookie Betts trade. So, I—I I, I don't know. In in many ways, Grotterall will determine how good a trade they actually made. But I know you've made the point that people in baseball don't think they did as bad in this deal as people in Boston seem to think.
0: Right. And the reason is the global view of it, not simply Verdugo and Gratterall, but the benefits of getting under the threshold and the benefits of clearing payroll. They're clearing about $40, 50000000 million in 2021 payroll. If you take Betts's 27 out of it, he wouldn't be there. And if you take Price's 16, let's call it, out of it as well. So these are things that they're going to be able to use to their advantage. And again, if you're a rival club in that division, this is the course that scares you from the Red Sox perspective. This is the thing you didn't want them to do. You would have much preferred them to keep Mookie, even if they were good in 2020, because this way they're getting back to a position of financial flexibility. They're getting some young talent. We don't know how good. And they're setting themselves up better for the future at a time when their system's depleted and they've got financial Questions or considerations with regard to the threshold. So, as you said, Jason, it's very easy to understand why a Red Sox fan is upset with this. But I think if you step back, if you're a Red Sox fan, you have to realize first of all, you're trading one year of Mookie bets. You're not trading Mookie bets with four years of control. One year. And the one year, the reason you're trading him is because you're not keeping him, at least not until free agency. So, From that perspective, I don't love it. I don't love that they felt compelled to make this move. But I do understand it. And my goodness, if we can't look at trades anymore from two sides, I'm going to get on my soapbox here, (laughs) Then we are looking at the wrong sport. Because how many times – I'm going to give you one great example. The Will Myers-James Shields trade way back when. Oh, my God. You can't trade Will Myers-James Shields. (laughs) Yeah, well, they won the World Series. Now, this is not going to have the same kind of short-term benefit, but it can have a long-term benefit. And listen, I'm no fan of owners pocketing money, if that's what the Red Sox are doing. And certainly, John Henry can afford to do whatever he wants to do. We all know that. But these guys are running a business. They're running it their way. And they're not running it any differently than the Yankees and Dodgers are running it in their desire to get under the threshold.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, this just in... Uh, There's people in Boston, yeah. people in New England, they don't realize all that stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, they're not happy. And I live in New England. I live in New England out here. Yeah, not happy up here. No, I know. not uh, Well, what I mean, it, and let's not like let's not forget. I mean, isn't there still an MLB investigation oh, yeah. pending for 2018? And, and the I mean, you know, so all that you know, all that shifting and moving and. And getting prepared for the future. What's the future look like? I mean, is it because you know, if they get anywhere close to the Astros in, in the results of this investigation, you know, all bets are off. It's just gonna and I mean Heim Bloom inherited a very difficult situation, even yes. if it was somewhat knowingly, right? He he got he has bets you have to trade, a very popular franchise player. Uh, you feel compelled to, you know, the numbers speak for that. And you're walking into the heels of an investigation where you had to let go of your manager before you ever played a game. Uh, it's, you know, I, there's there's still a lot to come that could shake all this up.
0: Right. And Doug, the one thing about the investigation, I want to go back to the article that Evan and I wrote, Evan Drellick and I, about the Red Sox that led to this investigation. What they did, according to our report, is not as egregious as what the Astros did. It's not banging on a garbage can in real time to signal a hitter. It involves a replay room, taking it out to the dugout, getting it to the runner at second base. You had to have a runner at second base, and then that runner relaying it to the batter at home. So from that perspective, it's not as egregious. I wouldn't expect the penalties to be as severe, even though if MLB finds them to be guilty of what we reported, it is coming after the commissioner warned everybody, including the Red Sox especially the Red Sox, not to do anything of this kind again. But at the same time, even with that, I just don't know that the level of transgression rises to the same level as the Astros. That said, we still don't know what's happening there. We don't know if they're going to lose any draft picks or international money, whatever the case might be. So that might be all the more reason to take a breath and reset. Even if no penalties are issued, There's a reason to do that. If penalties are issued, it probably would say there is more reason to do it right now.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we do know. We've taken up way too much of Ken Rosenthal's time. He's the busiest man in showbiz. So, Ken, we're going to let you go break (laughs) some more stories. It's always a thrill to have you here to visit Starkville. You can stop back anytime. Feel free to vacation here. (laughs) And uh, we'll work on that key to the city. How about that?
0: Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right, the great Ken Rosenthal. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, guys. How are going, Thanks. <laughs> okay, Doug, here is your second inning question. The new manager for those Houston Astros is a fellow named Dusty Baker. Uh, he's one of two managers ever who wound up with 1,800 wins as a manager. But also once hit at least two hundred home runs as a player.
2: So Ooh. can you name the other? Wow, that's a good one. I like it. Um, well, I'm I don't know if you he hit. won. Do you I want don't a know hit? if he. No, let me throw this one guess out. Then you can give me a hit. Uh, I don't know if he won this many wins. Probably not. So, but I'll say Frank Robinson. <laughs> not enough wins yeah.
1: but like frank robinson the, the guy who's the answer to the question is in fact a hall of famer ooh nice uh from that era
2: let's see here's another
1: 80s. here's another clue more as a manager than as a player hall of fame for his managing oh really okay Interesting. but a good player
2: uh joe torrey Joe Tari is
1: correct. What a job by Doug Glanville after I gave him 17 hits. 2,300 wins for Joe, 250 homers. So that is the answer. And that brings us to Dusty. Because, uh, you know, the Astros had to find a new manager in a hurry. And, of course, Doug, they went out and found that young sabermetric whiz kid they've been looking for, Dusty. <laughs> and like, what a fascinating hire, right? I, 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 but you know what? I love it. Uh, and here's why I love it. I, you know, they can they have coaches who can implement any sabermetric game plan that they need implemented. But in Dusty, they are hiring a guy who, to me, is the epitome of credibility. I can't think of a single quality the Astros need right now more than credibility and I know you played for Dusty so I'm curious how you think he fits
2: on this team in this moment in time. So so when you think about the Astros' very recent history it's been disastrous there's no question about it. And and so I can see the effort to have a full pendulum swing with someone that you know at his core has always exemplified, you know, ethics competitiveness, honest play, old school mentality, all the things that sort of embody Dusty Baker. But he was also a, a manager that was a player's manager, that has been a player's manager, where if you're continuing to double down and stay along track with the, the core personnel that the Astros have, it's not like they're saying, okay, we're going to get rid of all these guys with sign stealing. They really want to build the future with the personnel that's there. Uh, they want to give them a second chance. They want to try to right the ship through the same personnel, so it's nice to have someone come in who can bring that perspective about what's important, recognizing the talent that's still in the room, the ability is still in the room to win a World Series. So, I, I really like that fit. You know, I, we mentioned Bruce Bocce and other veteran players, but you know, Dusty has always been hungry, and and playing for him was. You know, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed playing for him. It made me remember as a 33-year-old plus veteran why I loved the game in the first place. That's cool. Now,
1: I'd love for you to tell one of your many great Dusty stories. I I think there was actually a quote from you in something that I wrote in the 2003 postseason that got you in some trouble with Dusty. Do I remember this right?
2: Uh, it's it's quite possible, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what happened there, man? I've had, a, I've had a couple. But yes, with the, post- <laughs> the postseason, you know, I generally stayed out of the principal's office. But in, in 2003, you remember, I was traded from Texas right around the trade deadline. And it was probably the hottest I had been in my career, even the year I hit 325. In 2003, I got hurt. I came back and I was unconscious in July. And so I was feeling pretty good like I might stay, I might have a chance to kind of, you know, revitalize my career. And I got kind of hit with this trade to Chicago. So I got there and, you know, Dusty of course I know and I knew he was respected and all that, but I wanted to play and this was a big year for me in free agency possibly. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know the Cubs we would go anywhere because we were 2 games over 500 when I got there. So it was one of those things where I don't know where my future lies. So I didn't play much. Kenny Lofton was traded over there, and so I was kind of the platoon guy, and I wasn't really that happy about it. I mean, I played; I was a team player, but I was kind of frustrated, especially with how things went down with the injury earlier in the season. So long story short, Dusty Baker, um, you know, gets me in. I'm platooning. I'm kind of playing, and and I uh, I barely make the playoff roster. That was the time he asked me if I could play infield, and I said what are you talking about? I hadn't played since Little League. He said, let me ask you again. Can you play infield? I said, oh, you mean I have to be an infielder to make this roster? I get it. So I said, okay, I guess I can do that. So I became the emergency infielder. And uh, and so finally, yeah, I mean, it was, it was like infield. Yeah, so I, I would have made like 12 errors in an inning if I got in there. And, and by the way, in the NLDS, they pinch hit for Alex Gonzalez, the regular shortstop. And I was one injury away from coming in to the into a baseball game at the major league level for the first time, in the NLDS. That would have been my first. Oh boy! I mean, so I digress. So Dusty. <laughs> so I'm you know still believing that okay, I can. I just need an opportunity, and I hope uh, contribute to make the playoffs. And then we get to the NLCS in Florida, and I got the game winning hit. And at the in the post game. I was asked about you know what I was looking for. I remember it looked like a hit and run and all this stuff, and I was you know I hit a fastball and so I made a comment along the lines of look I you know I'm a, I was always a good fastball hitter so and doesn't matter righty or lefty I actually hit righties better than lefties so I was kind of making the point that he was platooning me against lefties but I could hit righties and I kind of stated that in a little snarky kind of way and and it was reported on and Dusty <laughs> called me in the office. He calls me literally in the principal's office and kind of mad. He's like, I know what you can do. I know what you can do. You know, I'm just trying to do and go into hot, you know, hot hand and loft and all that. I know you, you could play and all that. So I was like, I'm just telling you, you know, my career average against righties is higher than lefties. So let's not make it out that I'm just a <laughs> platoon guy. So it was a little tense, <laughs> but I think he appreciated the swagger because Dusty does appreciate that. And, uh, and so we, we hit it off. We had a great time. Wow. So, so what happened? You got? Did you get grounded for the weekend? I did not. I did not. (laughs) But that was my last at bat of the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh well. One for one. That's it. Uh, Okay. But but he was great all all through that time. He it was funny. He he quoted Fifty Cent. He'd always say stuff like, you know, some of y'all might be smarter than me, but none of y'all been around as long as I have. That's what he used to say. (laughs) He was he was he was awesome. Yeah, he
1: was awesome. The Astros are going to hear that line again. They are. Okay, now, Doug, one more quick question. Uh, The Rays also hired a new general manager, hired James Click, away from those Tampa Bay Rays. And guess what? The Rays are not that happy that the Astros dipped into their front office and hired their GM away from the Rays in February. So here's my question. Should the Astros, as part of their punishment have been forced to hire a GM from within and not have been allowed to go out and raid other teams to pick a GM?
2: Yeah, I, I, look, like I know it's, it's so tempting to just pile on this because information keeps coming in, right? And we'll talk more about that, right? Information keeps coming in and it just feels like, you know if you can't take the trophy or you can't suspend players, you just have to make it really difficult for them and I, and I and I get it. I think it's um, you know the personnel and the opportunity to go out there and effectively quote unquote trade for a GM uh, but so I I, th- I think there'll be always a little line of dissatisfaction with how far you you'd like to go to kind of make sure this doesn't happen again and I and that's the Astros issue right now and they're going to wear that collar for a while. Uh, And and I think even to this degree, it's something you would consider because you just don't – you want to see them really earn their way back through every channel possible.
1: Yeah. it's two Sternberg's on the line for you, Doug, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Doug, time for your third inning question. The Astros struck out fewer times in 2019 than any team in baseball. The question, which National League playoff team had the fewest strikeouts by their hitters last year?
2: Wow, National League team. So led the NL? National League playoff team that struck
1: out the least over the course of the season. Oh, oh,
2: okay, in the course. uh, How about the Nationals, Washington Nationals? That's
1: correct. Good (laughs) job, Doug. Uh, Nationals struck out 1,308 times. That's still... 152 times more than the Astros, who made a ton of contact. And that leads me into a story that know, Saris and I combined for here in the last week, Doug. And what we did was we took a deep dive inside the numbers of the 2017 Astros just to sort of see what we came up with, to see if, not necessarily if we could connect the dots between... The, the the form of cheating that they employed, banging on those trash cans and and every one of those numbers, but just to see how did their team change. And I, I'm going to just review with you some of what we found in, in that story. And I'd like you to tell me what you would conclude from these numbers. First number, they cut their overall strikeouts by 365 strikeouts in one year it's basically cut two strikeouts a game off their totals um i did change personnel did change hitting philosophy but just so you know the average fluctuation year to year of of other teams in the live ball era has been 65 the astros fluctuation was 365 it's the most that any team ever cut its strikeouts in, from one full season to the next in the entire Live ball era.
2: So, Doug, what would you conclude from that? Oh, wow! It, it's it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, yes, they did make some personnel moves. I don't think you could possibly explain that kind of number. It it just jumps out at you. Um, it, you know, I think you it, this sort of exercise makes me think of you know if you're like a financial company you know you're doing insider trading there's all kinds of flags that come up to say wait a minute there's something going on how did they know the share price was going to go up that's that's when you start looking at these numbers you start to go these aberrations can be really telling and and you can't explain it away from just simple personnel moves or hitting philosophy strategies so that certainly would be concerning to me right away
1: yeah and i I agree with that. And, you know, I I took a beating from Astros fans on Twitter and in the comments on this story um, because they all pointed out, look at how we changed our team. They did change half their lineup, right? And they brought in guys who made much more contact than the guys they replaced. I understand that. They also got more aggressive in attacking balls in the strike zone Earlier in counts, I also get that. But if that's the explanation, then I want you to explain this next stat to me. They cut their strikeouts at home by 242 strikeouts in one year. That means they reduced their strikeouts per game at home by three strikeouts a game. There's never been anything like that in the live ball era. And I'm sure if we went back farther, we'd find there's never been like that anywhere, ever. Uh, And just so you know, they struck out way more on the road than at home. They cut their road strikeouts by half that amount, 123. So, 242 fewer strikeouts at home, but 123 fewer on the road.
2: Doug, what would you conclude from that? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is this, you know, to the Astros fans beating up on you, or beating up, like, the evidence is in, okay? There's not... We're not still debating whether this happened, right? And and so here's the the solution to not taking the criticism or turning every stone under, you know, going under every stone is to not cheat, right? That that's the solution. And yes, is it somewhat unfair that if you have one, you know, transgression or major transgression that it sort of blankets your whole culture? Maybe maybe that's too that's not quite fair, but it's it's the consequence of the action that that's just reality like we we all you know find if you if you rob a bank people are going to look into your parking tickets you know i'm just saying like this is just this is the reality and so i i, I the evidence we're, we're looking at these numbers through the lens of actually having information that makes it clear that this actually did occur so and, and that it was an advantage. Otherwise, why the heck would you do it, right? There's an advantage. There clearly was an advantage. And I'm sorry, like, I wasn't the most disciplined hitter in the world. So sometimes me knowing what's coming, I may still chase a, some bad pitches. I was a bad ball hitter, so I could kind of get away with it sometimes. But if I knew what was happening, that's an advantage, period. Like, I don't care. You know what's coming. There's a lot. I played with a million guys in the minor league system that could hit fastballs. And if they knew Joe Sarsha, are you out there? Joe Sarsha, are you out there? Big <laughs> lefty, A ball in Geneva, dead fastball hitter. If he knew what was coming and it was just a fastball, that's career changing. I'm sorry. Like, that's just flat. So so these numbers, yes, you could debate them. And I understand there may be some things you could say that can't explain all of it. But the choice was made. And it brings everything you did as an organization into question. And I think that's reasonable. Okay, I, I've got. I'm, I'm yeah, done Yeah, that now. story you. you just told is a,
1: is a. You you are done. Uh, you're not done. No, no, I'm just. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Go. Yeah. <laughs> that story. That story. That <laughs> okay, let it all out. Go ahead. Do what you need to do. You're ready. You ready for the last question? Okay. Yeah. Scott. All right. That was actually that was actually a really good segue to this question because we we did look at chase rates. I mean, the key to hitting is. Not just uh, you know, swing at more strikes and and lay off balls that aren't strikes, but do damage on those balls that you do swing at in the strike zone, and like we have a bunch of really fascinating uh, numbers that show how much better they were at both those things in the piece. But like one of the things we did was we tried to break off, uh, for example. When somebody threw the Astros a breaking ball that was below the strike zone, what happened? We looked at 2016. We looked at 2017. They were so much better at laying off those pitches. Here's an example. 2016, Marwin Gonzalez chased 40% of those pitches, breaking balls below the strike zone. What percentage do you think he swung at in 2017, one year later, he went from 40% chase rate to 10%. Now, I know that players get better from year to year, but is there a plausible explanation for
2: why a guy would get that much better? No. No, there there isn't. And and look, I if you go back, just go through all the media in history, and I always got interested when someone says I worked out this off-season the hardest I've ever worked out. I'm in the best shape <laughs> of my life. Okay, that's a red flag to me. This whole best shape of my life, that's what we're getting now, just not, not in PEDs, but in, other, in, in this arena. Like, I worked on my eyes, and I went through a guru with, with 3D vision, and I could see through walls, and that's how I came back and laid off you know, all these curveballs. Like, come on, dude. Like, everybody's good at the major <laughs> league level. Everybody is good. Everybody is good, and that's why an advantage, like I said when I wrote in the article in the Times, like a small advantage, in is a exponential advantage. A small adjustment that you make. Let me rephrase it: a small adjustment that you make, like this, leads to huge advantages in the realm of the elite. All right. So when you're already in the stratosphere of talent, everybody's good, and one little thing is. It may be 2%, you may know 3% more. That's enough to put you in the World Series. That's enough to make you a multimillionaire. That's enough to make you an all-star. That's how little the difference is. And you know what, like Bonds and and all these players, all the stories we hear about, well, he didn't use PEDs before this date. And it doesn't matter. Like that's, that's exactly the problem. You taint and you absolutely smear everything you've ever done. And that's why your credibility should matter enough because one transgression, mistake can destroy a reputation sorry that's how it goes and it's not always fair it's not always fair and you could work your way back to that but that's the choice that's why today we're still talking about peds in the game for all these clowns that made that choice even players who played clean or just blanketed in this whole thing so yes i don't i don't trust it and i think it's not shocking but you know the data use those analytics that we've gained in this game to look for aberrations like this because those numbers are really shocking and they, they seem absolutely unreal and impossible to be able to accomplish in one year. It just seems absolutely ludicrous. And the fact that we have the data now to back it up only just highlights that even more. Okay, friends, Doug Glanville has spoken. <laughs> and
1: before we move on, just want to say this uh, to all the people who think I'm some kind of Astros hater or that those of us at the, the Athletic are Astros haters. I, I'm being honest about this. Uh, there is no team that I've enjoyed watching play more over these last few years than the Houston Astros. Uh, I thought these were great players. Um, and I, I just hope that this year, that they go out and use the opportunity they have to prove that what they accomplished over the last three years was because of their greatness, not because they stole signs, not because they banged on trash cans, not because they cheated, but because they are great players and a great team. Nothing would make me happier than if that's what we're talking about a year from now. But we'll find out, right? All right, Doug. Time for this week's listener question. And we love the listener questions because that's how we allow you, our listeners, to be part of this podcast. I'll tell you how you can do that in a moment. But the idea of the question is, you submit a trivia question, um, our mayor, our evil mayor of Starkville, Cam, will pick the question He'll decide. Yeah, here's a question that'll stump Jason. It'll stump Doug, and then it'll give us something to kick around afterwards. So we're ready with this week's question. And once again, you know, we've had a we've had a series of questions that have come from some of, some of the great statistical minds you find out there on Twitter. That must be our audience, Doug. We got another one this week. Comes from Paul Moringer, who writes really interesting baseball stuff for the Hardball Times, and. You can find him on Twitter at P M O E H R I N G E R. Now, Doug, here comes his question. Tough one. He says, Which active player has the most career All Star appearances without starting an All Star game? Active player, most career All Star appearances, but never started the game. I, this is really, really, really tough. I, I'm, I'm just gonna throw out a wild guess I,
2: with Joey Votto. Do you mm. have do you have an idea? That's a good one. Is this a trick question? Because what about are we What about pitchers? Is that you know what I'm saying are they Are they throwing a curveball at us here? <laughs> Literally, <Maybe. laughs> possibly. Uh, all right. Because it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to see if they're trying to trick us here. Can well, can you think of any pitchers <laughs> that have made the All Star team? Like a, uh, Barry. Wait, all right. So uh, closers. Who's the already closers given are? my answer? Okay, all right. Give me some closers. Who's some great closers that've been around a long time? Uh, Pitched to. A, well, uh, Craig Kimbrell, Kenley Jansen. Uh, yeah, yeah. that would be at the, right at the top of
1: my list. Fernando Rodney. <laughs> He's been around yeah, a long Rodney. time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah.
2: So I see what you're do- I see what you doing here. Yeah, I mean because they've made they, the author like, just guess. All right, just guess. Um, Come on. All right, Craig Kimbrell. I'll say Kimbrell. Yeah,
1: some okay, well, reliever like that. Like Doug, Doug's thinking outside the box. He's thinking way <laughs> different than me. Let's let's get uh, our mayor in here to tell us uh, how how we got this one wrong. What do you think, <laughs> Doug? I love where your head's at. Unfortunately, it's not a reliever. However, it is a starting pitcher. That starting pitcher being Clayton Kershaw.
2: He oh, has made eight
1: All Star appearances without starting in a game?
2: Mm. Well, well, that's amazing. amazing. I, gosh, I was thinking Kershaw, and I just like did not. Okay, yep, good stuff. Yeah, all right. God, I gotta feel like I do. They were up, they were up to something sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> that is sneaky. I didn't, I didn't know that
1: the pitches were included when I made my Joey Votto guess. Mm-hmm. Good, Doug, you thought it through beautifully. You just <laughs> screwed up the name. That's yeah, the name. I, it's right, so a part of the deal. Is now we we have a trivia question. We have to figure out something, some topic that is inspired by the trivia question. So, uh, how, how about this, Doug? Do you think Clayton Kershaw is still a true ace? He's great. He's a future Hall of Famer. But is he a true ace? I I, I I'm gonna say Clayton has slipped just a little bit out of that conversation. I only think that there's maybe a half dozen true aces. DeGrom, Garrett Cole, Verlander, Scherzer. Uh, I'm elevating Steven Strasburg now after October. And I think this year's newest member of the true ace club is going to be Walker Bueller. So that would be my sixth. What about you? Am I,
2: am I wrong about those guys? Any of them? No, those are those are great. Those are great names, and they're game changers. You put the ball in their hands, and just you know, go as long as you can. You th- you saw what Cole did all, all year. So yeah, it's it, it is. It seems like a dying breed, but you know, there's still enough out there that people who go deep into ball games still have a lot of value. It just saves your pen. You could set up things differently. So. I mean, like a guy like Jack Flaherty. I don't know if you mentioned him. It's I know it's new, but what a about what him. a what a year he had. I mean, just the you know after Cole, there's nobody who got hotter than than Flaherty, right? So, so that's a that's a good name. Um, I don't know. i have tried to think off the top of my head. I need to pull up the standings. Yeah, I mean, he something. and Mike.
1: <laughs> I would say he and like Mike Clevenger. Clevenger might be next on my list, right? Um, yeah, guys like a who Kluber are about kind to take of guy. That step.
2: You know Kluber uh
1: you know I, I mean I for last year you can't call Corey Kluber a true Ace yeah
2: yeah I mean no more but you know he's he was in that ilk he's just injuries got banged up I'm just got to yeah. let me let me look at the standing see if I'm missing someone here you know, we said Scherzer. he said Strasburg. uh what about Jacob de Grom?
1: I'm I included him I I you know I think Noah Syndergaard always flirts with that with his stuff yeah.
2: totally um totally flirts with his bumgarner you know he's he's getting older i guess but you know he's and yeah, not quite maybe, a true ace Maybe right not that now. guy that's like right but it's a fun question right yeah i love it good question we don't have so. to answer it definitively but
1: it's fun to talk about and you know all you have to do if you would like to get us uh, to, to read your name on our podcast get one of your questions wrong and then talk about how <laughs> brilliant you are is just submit a trivia question and you can do it two different ways you can send us an email, and if you want to do that, you would send it to Starkville, with an E on the end, at theathletic.com, or you can send it via Twitter. You can tweet at me, and you can find me at St.
2: Jason with a Y-S-T, or you can find Doug at... At Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. There you go, and just hashtag those questions, hashtag StarkvilleQS.
1: That's it for Starkville for some of you, but if you're an Athletic subscriber, you can keep listening over the Athletic app or the Athletic website. Uh, If you're not a subscriber and you'd like to be a subscriber, go find that link you clicked on to find us here and it'll get you 30% off a one-year subscription to The Athletic. But for those of you who are leaving us, Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon on Starkville.